Hello and welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment or ACE podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. Every fortnight we invite aged care industry experts, thought leaders and passionate individuals to share their knowledge and experience with us as we examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. I'm your host Ash Deneef and in today's episode we're talking to Robbie Rochella. Robbie is currently the head of quality of life at HC1, the UK's largest aged care provider, with 328 facilities across England, Scotland, and Wales. This conversation is focused on how Robbie and her team are supporting the quality of life of their residents, some of the challenges that come out of having such a large number of facilities in different countries, and some positive takeaways from the COVID-19 pandemic's effect on aged care homes. This episode was recorded in September 2020, so depending on when you're listening to it, some of the specifics of the pandemic response may not apply, but the conversation as a whole is still very relevant. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Robbie Rochella. Thank you so much for joining us, Robbie, on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited of being here today. Can we start with a little bit of your background and, and your story? Absolutely. So I am coming from an health and social care background. Um, I actually studied economic history at university for my first degree. And then I started to study psychology. I wanted to become a pet therapist at the time. And during my first year of my secondary degree in psychology, I went to do some voluntary work in a scuba diving center in Turkey. And, and it was a scuba diving center for people with profound disabilities, physical and mental disabilities. And I went there as a volunteer for a couple of weeks and I just absolutely fell in love with the concept and the idea of supporting people to live and experience a good quality of life and very much doing something, especially with regards to scuba diving, is still considered to be quite an elitarian sport. So being able to uh, support people to do scuba diving um, and breaking the boundaries of disability is something that very much changed me as an individual. So I went back to Italy and I looked for a position that could actually support me in developing my career in this way. And uh, I was successful in applying for a position for setting up an advocacy project for people with profound disabilities in the UK. Mm. And in 2003, I relocated to the UK and set up this advocacy project, which was uh, managed by the largest charity for people with learning disability in the UK, Manca. And I worked in that position for five years. And I absolutely loved it because it was an opportunity to really support people to say what they want and to have choice and control over their care and their life and something that very much shaped me professionally and also personally. So that is very much the beginning of my career. And I, I feel very privileged that I had that foundation. I then work in a number of different roles. I work for the local authority as assistant social worker for children with complex needs. And then I work in a number of operational roles um, set up at two different services, an empowerment service for people on transition, uh, people with disability on transition from children to adult services. I set up a domiciliary care service for people to be living independently in their own homes. And then towards the back end of my career, in the last seven, eight, nine years, I started to focus on quality, something I'm very passionate about. So 
I had a number of roles as a regional quality manager and then head of quality for the north of England and Scotland for a large provider in the UK, and then head of quality and governance. And then uh, a year and a half ago, I joined my current employer, HC1, as a head of well-being initially, and then uh, from January this year as a head of quality of life. Head of quality of life is the most exciting job title I ever had. Um, because the emphasis on people's quality of life is something that for me is very transformational, is really bringing the perspective back onto the individuals we are supporting, regardless of their age and abilities. So something that uh, I, I couldn't be more excited to do. Fantastic. And it sounds like going right back to your time teaching scuba diving, that quality of life has always been something that's quite a strong passion for you. What does it mean to you? What is quality of life? That is the question of the century. <laughs> so what does it mean, quality of life? Well, I, I think quality of life means something different to all of us. You know, we are all different individuals. We, are all, we all have a different story, different preferences, different wishes. So quality of life is very subjective. However, quality of life is equally as important to all of us because obviously it is very much at the heart of living a fulfilling life, of experiencing happiness and satisfaction. As we were defining in our company, trying to find the definition for quality of life, our approach was very much asking the people we are supporting, what does quality of life mean to you? Uh, we did a three-month pilot before uh, designing our well-being program, which is all around uh, uh, promoting stimulation for the body, the mind, and the soul of the people we are supporting, and very much trying to identify meaningful activities and meaningful interaction that can actually enhance the spirits of care and the quality of life of the people we are supporting. So our residents came up with a definition whereby quality of life is about experiencing a sense of happiness and satisfaction by being able to do things that make us feel good. And I think that that's a good definition because that sense of feeling, the experience, it's very much at the art of living a fulfilling life. And it's interesting because as we were going through the process of defining our own definition of quality of life, we realized that it's not dissimilar to the definition that HUK, HUK is the largest charity for older people in the UK. And they provide a very similar definition between quality of life, well-being, as being very similar terms that they got in common, that sense of pleasurable life, that sense of independence, that sense of choice and control over what we want to do. Fantastic. And, and HC1 is the largest aged care provider in the UK with 328 care homes. That's a lot of residents, a lot of clients to work with and a lot of different interpretations of quality of life. As head of quality of life, how do you how do you approach that challenge? It's a very very good point. Um, I think the first point for me is always bringing the perspective back onto the individual. So you're right; we are operating across uh, the UK in uh, in Scotland, Wales, and England. So obviously there are national variations that we need in national uh, legislation and requirements that we need to adhere to. We are regulated by three different regulatory bodies. Therefore, our approach to quality will also need to meet the regulatory uh, requirements. However, I think it's very important that 
the, the concept of quality goes back to the individual and to what quality of life and quality of care means to them. And I think the way in which we are approaching this by providing a range of different services from residential to nursing to memory care to specialist care, but the, the approach that we have is very much working with local area team, which are obviously aligned to the different uh, geographical uh, location across the UK. And I think that is enabling our company to work in collaboration with the commissioner, in collaboration with the regulatory body, in collaboration with third parties and organisations. That for me is incredibly important because obviously when people are moving to a care home, they still want to maintain those links with the community, which are very important in terms of maintaining people's identity. So you can imagine the difference between Scotland, Wales and England. There are a lot of wonderful variations. And I think maintaining also the identity, the, the cultural richness of our residents is so important and so vital for their well-being and their sense of happiness. So I think overall, I actually find that it's quite a rich, rich process going to be able to deliver care in three different countries because we got the opportunity to adapt our approach to care and very much still maintain the focus on the people we are supporting. So ultimately, is what quality means to our residents, quality means to us as a provider, and then very much adapting into the regulatory requirement across the three countries. Mm, it sounds like you'd have to apply uh, the definition of quality of life as you said, across the country, but then within that, within the region of a specific country, I know the UK and England, Scotland and Wales have very diverse regions within them. And then, of course, to the individual and, and their wants and needs. It's a, it's a complicated balance, what it sounds like. It is a complicated balance, uh, certainly. But at the same time, I think the way in which our company is operating and that structure, operational and quality structure, is actually then enabling those relationships and that connection that is then very much localizing the support and care specifically to the, the country that we are uh, operating in. So it seems probably more complex than it is. And I, I see some amazing examples on a day-to-day -day basis of those relationships and those collaboration and key partnerships delivering at the end of the day the best outcomes for the people we are supporting. Can you give listeners a, an impression of the sorts of things that come under quality of life, the sorts of areas that you're looking at? Absolutely. So when we are thinking about quality of life and we are thinking about resident well-being, the, the primary approach is very much about uh, designing and co-producing with the individual that we are supporting activity plans, uh, lifestyle plans, that they are going to enable them to maintain their independence, express choice and control over their care and support, but on a day-to-day -day basis, feeling that they got something meaningful to do, that people still can maintain their hobbies, their pastimes, and also deliver new interest and developing new relationships. I'm a very passionate believer that there is still a quite a negative perception about our sector across society. And I, I, it's something that very, very much upset me because I'm a great believer that uh, and there is so much positivity that comes from moving to a care home. Of course, it's a difficult process. Of course, perhaps people will not 
naturally be choosing to move to a care home. But at the end of the day, there are so many positive sides in terms of if you're thinking about the impact of loneliness and isolation that is affecting our society, the ability to actually live in a community and the ability to be supported, to maintain your independence and still being able to uh, take part to your hobbies is still something that for me is incredibly, incredibly important. So our lifestyle plans, our well-being plans are very much building from the life story, from the wants, the wishes of the people we are supporting. We are very much, as I said before, providing a stimulation for the body, mind and soul. So activity that can stimulate the body, mind and soul, such as obviously keeping fit, uh, mindfulness, tai chi, or any activities, for example, that is revolving around a common interest, such as clubs, you know, people are coming from... Um, for example, having enjoyed gardening or having enjoyed photography or having enjoyed any sort of activity that then they can share with other people as they are living in our services. And very much we are also promoting that there are different types of activities. So I think we are moving away from a bit of a traditional and old-fashioned idea of having a lot of residents having to take part to the same group activity. Mm -hmm. That is, for me, very, very old-fashioned. And we are promoting that there are different types of activities. So social activities, of course, are important. You are sharing hobbies and passion with other people who are like-minded. But there are activities that people like to do in their own time, and those are equally as important. So we are promoting you know, self-directed activities, encouraging people to pick up hobbies and pastime in their own time and enabling them to do so, as well as promoting everyday occupation. So actively encouraging residents to take part to any activity of everyday living, from active management of their care homes by, you know, we got residents who are actively involved in gardening, in maintenance in supporting our kitchen teams. And that is so important in maintaining people's independence and giving them a sense of fulfillment. Mm. I like the idea that instead of um, aged care homes becoming a place where things are done for people, they're done. things are done together with the residents and it's a community that is contributing to itself. You mentioned something there that's that's quite an interesting question that's come up a lot throughout these conversations for this podcast, the idea that aged care homes are not often somewhere that people look forward to going to. Do you think it's possible to change that perception? Absolutely, yes. And I think we need to be very united in our sector. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm a very positive and very, um, very enthusiastic person. So I, I'm a great believer of celebrating good quality of care, whether it's delivered by our company or whether it's delivered by other providers. At the end of the day, we are all here for the same aim and for the same reason. And I think by working together and by together raising the profile of our sector, we can actually challenge that negative perspective. I think one of the positive things that has come out of the pandemic is a wider recognition for our sector and the value that it brings to society and the value that it brings to some of the most vulnerable people in our society. So going back to your original question, Ash, I, I genuinely believe that we can challenge that perception. And I think it's down to us to be able to outline 
and share and celebrate the good example of care and good example of quality of life that take place on a day-to-day basis in a number of care services and age services. And you're right, I'm a great believer that you know, the moment in which residents are moving to, to a care home, that is probably the most uh, difficult, the most emotionally challenging time for themselves and for the people, their loved ones. And I think there is so much that can be done to actually positively challenge that uh, perception, but also soften and humanize that process by very much outlining the values and the benefits of living in a, in a care home. Hmm. Now, how is HC1 proving itself as an innovator within the aged care sector? Well, for me, one of the things I'm particularly excited about is the fact that as a company, as a large provider, we are very much uh, focusing on the, the importance of quality of life. Now, Person-centered care and the focus on the individual is something that has been around for 20, 30 years. However, I think it's fair to say that across the sector, there is still a perception of clinical model of care. So people are, you know, they're moving to care homes because they got care and support and health needs. And therefore, we are defining the support around those clinical needs and requirements. So for our company to actually wanting to invest on quality of life and very much having, you know, having invested in a position like a head of quality of life and developing our quality of life team, for me, that is very much representing innovation because it brings the perspective back onto the people we are supporting. And quality of life for me is not just a nice thing to do. It's very much a must do. Uh, not only for the benefit that it has on the individual that we are supporting, but also for the benefit that it has for our business as well. Ultimately, if I had to move to a care home, uh, or if my my family, any of my loved ones had to move to a care home, I would want to move to a care home which heavily focuses on quality of life. So I think we are an innovator in that sense. We're also an innovator in terms of we are embracing technology and value-based technology, so technology that can benefit our residents and that can give and drive better outcomes for our residents. So at the moment, and again, driven by the pandemic, so that's one of the positive sides of this very challenging uh, event that is, uh, is obviously being impacting on our society globally, is the fact that we've been looking at alternative way and innovative way of still stimulating the resident's well-being, still enabling people to live a fulfilling life as much as possible at a time when obviously so much of the interaction with visitors and third parties has been impacted by the lockdown and the restriction of the pandemic. So we are looking at the moment, for example, of introducing functional exercise classes, um, activity and sport activities classes via Zoom. We have been partnering with a company that is uh, providing physical exercises for uh, um, older people, and we will be delivering those classes via Zoom, something that six months ago perhaps we wouldn't even be considering. We also seen a number of uh, innovative ways of still maintaining that connection and links with the community 
um, we have some amazing examples. One of my favorite is uh, um, in some of our services, we got uh, pet therapy services where pets go into the homes and provide that very important stimulation for the resident well-being. And we've been uh, revising that approach and we've been delivering again that via Zoom. And the success and the, the benefits to the resident has been absolutely incredible. We're also looking at, with regards to the use of technology, at the moment we are looking at introducing e-care and e-meds, so obviously a much better way of uh, providing care planning and administering medication. So that is all very exciting because for me, technology, as I said before, in our sector perhaps, uh, we've been lagging behind. So this is providing an opportunity for a digital transformation and something that uh, our company is very much embracing. And I think another thing I'm particularly passionate in for me is again about innovation. We are looking at introducing musical care and the value and the benefit of musical care. You know, music is something that is so important for all of us, uh, but introducing musical care as part of delivering care or support is something that can be incredibly beneficial for the people we are supporting. You, you mentioned musical care. What does musical care look like? So musical care is very much empowering our colleagues in understanding that music can, not only music is enjoyable and music, meaningful music, you know, we are listening to music in all stages of our life and also when we are in different mindset or in different moods. So we are, by the concept of musical care, is using music as a way of delivering care, personal care or perhaps supporting people um, as they are experiencing their dining experience or creating personalized playlists and the value, the impact that it can have on people's agitation or sense of well-being and very much the sense of happiness and, and fulfillment. So it's something that we are very excited and we are working with a company in the UK that's been doing some amazing work around the musical care. So we will be launching a, a pilot across some of our homes. So it's a three months of course delivery and qualification at the end of it. Um, and we cannot wait to evaluate the benefit of musical care and the outcomes that they are delivering for our residents. Mm, that sounds very reminiscent of a conversation I was having a few weeks ago with Karen Lake. Karen has a similar position to you, Robbie. Um, she works in Ryman Healthcare in New Zealand, uh, one of the large providers there. And she was talking about the reminiscence bump, a period between 20 and 30 years old where you form a lot of memories and, and using music as a trigger to bring people back to those years in their later years. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the work that Oliver Sacks, uh, who unfortunately passed away, um, a few years ago, he did this amazing piece of work on the Alive project. And basically, he was uh, looking at how to use uh, music to actually bring people back to life and their memories and their ability to regain better control of their language and their memories. And there is this amazing documentary uh, that is revolving around uh, the story of this gentleman called Harry and uh, it is amazing to see that when the right music is played with him, he comes back to life and something that I couldn't recommend anybody more to listen and to watch because it's truly transformational. 
So I was certainly checking what uh, the colleagues in Newsreader is doing because it's something I'm particularly passionate about. And again, reminiscence has got such an important part in particular for our residents living with dementia. But not just for them, reminiscing is so good for the mind and the soul and something that is very much at the heart of our quality of life proposition. Mm, yeah, I, I could talk about music all day, but we should, we should change topic a little bit. Um, now, you've mentioned, you mentioned the pandemic, of course. We're recording this in September 2020 and the pandemic is affecting most of the world and the UK, it's certainly being felt as well as in Australia and aged care homes in both countries are, are being affected by the pandemic. What are some of the challenges? I know you mentioned the integration of technology a bit better. What are some challenges that you're hoping, hoping the industry can meet as a result of the pandemic? So I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the pandemic had a huge impact on, on all of us uh, individually, on our society, on our sector, certainly. I mean, I sometimes think about how life was different just six months ago. And I think some of the challenges for me have been very much in relation to having to respond, so to be on a, uh, operating on a response mode, so very much uh, uh, on a very fast pace, having to adapt to a situation that was unprecedented. And as such, we didn't have anything to compare it to. So that was one of the biggest challenges. And certainly something that, as you said, the lockdown, not being able to welcome uh, residents, loved ones, the, the entertainers and everything that is usually part of our day-to-day -day life, part of our uh, activity program, had to be completely transformed and revisited. But at the same time, uh, there have been uh, some, and obviously the, the pandemic has not just affected our residents, has also affected our workforce, our colleagues. Um, and the, the relatives, loved ones as well. However, I genuinely believe there have been some positives that have come out from the pandemic. For example, I've been incredibly inspired by how the teams in our homes have been working more, embracing and promoting the whole home approach. So very much getting together and very much having to support each other in delivering care, but also in enhancing the quality of life of the people we are supporting. Now, the whole home approach is one of the principles of our wellbeing program. So it's very much going back to what I was saying earlier on, is about relationship-based care. So for all colleagues within the home to be empowered in understanding how valuable and how important their role is in enhancing the quality of life of the people we are supporting. And that is certainly something that has come out uh, of the pandemic um, as a very important positive side. I think we also learned to work in a smarter way and also being able to adapt to change very fast. And again, that, that's a benefit of something that it is a requirement in an ever-changing society and uh, ever-changing environment. And also we learn to work probably more cohesively, more collaboratively. You know, I often think, you know, we've been supporting each other amongst providers. I'm part of a network with other providers whereby we are uh, regularly meeting on a weekly basis and we are sharing experiences, we are sharing resources and that, again, has been particularly positive. And we are also connecting more widely at a global level. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today talking to you guys. 
So we are connecting and that connection, that discussion and, and that willingness of very much promoting anything that can raise the profile of our sector is, is instrumental in, in very much going back to what we were saying before, Ash, challenging that negative perspective of our sector. So a lot of positive out of a very difficult situation. And I think the ability also to adapt to deliver activities in a different way has been quite, quite amazing. So I often get absolutely mesmerized by the way in which older people are embracing technology and are responding positively to the use of technology. And I think the pandemic has given that push to actually embrace technology in a, in a more positive way and uh, the value that it can bring in uh, into people's life. Mm, fantastic. Now in, in Melbourne where, where I am, I know that uh, there's a number of homes where where residents have needed to be isolated due to the pandemic. Has this been the case in, in some of the HC1 homes as well? Certainly, certainly. So um, at the moment, we got local lockdown across uh, the three different countries. So we are responding at local level to the lockdown requirements that have been imposed by the local authorities. And obviously, that brings a, a number of difficult and very challenging situations because uh, uh, being part of a community and feeling part of a community is certainly something that we all need and certainly our residents need too. And that's why, going back to what we were saying before, having the opportunity of using technology to connect residents. So we got a number of pen pal clubs. We got a number of networks whereby residents within our homes are connecting and supporting each other, but also a number of great examples of our uh, services making links with the local community and still maintaining those links despite being in lockdown. That, for me, is what is important and very much needed because, uh, you know, this, that sense of loneliness and, and isolation that when we were during the peak of the lockdown, where we all experienced that, that is certainly still uh, very much a challenge. So it's very important that we are outlining the importance of creating those connections and making people feel that they're still part of a wider community. Mm. I think, as you said, that one of the silver linings is an increased communication across across the industry internationally and, and nationally as well, depending on where you are. And and the only thing we can do is learn from, from our experiences and, and move forward. Robbie, what does leadership in the aged care industry look like to you? So for me, leadership is everything. But by leadership, I mean leadership at all levels. So I touched before upon the concept of relationship-based care and empowering colleagues at all levels. There is something that one of my pet hates is when people say, I am just an administrator, I'm just a carer, I'm just a well-being coordinator, I'm just a nurse. I, I find that quite detrimental because in reality, everybody in a home is, uh, is equally as important and everybody got a very, very important role as part of a wider jigsaw. So leadership is required at all levels. Leadership is required to drive positive change, to drive positive mindset and cultural change. And I think obviously, if you can imagine, as we are talking about quality of life and valuing quality of life equally as important as quality of care, well, obviously, 
that mindset change is very much driven by leadership. But leadership is also about empowering people, it's about empowering our workforce, it's about empowering the people we are supporting. And leadership is also about thinking outside the box. I think we have discussed so far the importance and the need of thinking outside the box, which has been driven by the pandemic. So leadership is something that's been crucial in being able to respond to a challenging situation, but also to, as I said before, to bring the perspective back onto people and very much empowering the people we are supporting and the people we are employing. Fantastic. Robbie, we're almost out of time now. Is there anything you'd like to share about your work or about HC1 with the listeners before we go? I just wanted to say that I'm uh, very excited. I mean, I am, uh, you know, I'm delighted to be able to work for a company that uh, is embarking onto a very exciting journey where, as I said before, we want to value and we want to deliver good quality of care and good quality of life. And for me, good quality of care and good quality of life are two sides of the same coin and something that I couldn't be more excited to be part of this journey and to collaborate and co-produce with colleagues, residents and relatives and very much bringing the perspective back onto the people we are supporting. So very excited to be part of this and very excited to have the opportunity to talk to you guys on the other side of the world. I love what you do and uh, I follow you and um, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted you give me the opportunity to talk to you today. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Robbie. Thank you to you guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website at www.silveradventures.com.au. That's S-I-L-V-R Adventures. And of course, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. My name's Ashton Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.